Amen. You may be seated. So great to see you guys today. When we first moved to Clearwater, my family and I moved into the countryside area. It was a great area for us. And we, uh, can I just confess something that's going on right now, right here? I forgot to take my iPad out of its case. And now I'm struggling with it while you're watching. Should we pray again? Should I pray about it? Is that what should happen right now? You know what? It's just not going to work out today. Anyway, we moved into uh, countryside, and we loved the area, but what we really loved about our neighborhood were all the colorful neighbors. There there was a uh, family immediately next door, a man and a woman, and he was a really big, strong guy, and our, our boys were young, three of them were young and playing outside all the time, and he just took it upon himself to be the watchdog. He took care of them. If there was anything weird going on in the neighborhood, he would step up and take care of them. And his wife turned out to be like Willy Wonka. She passed out candy. The boys loved her. They were great neighbors. And then there was another grandmotherly type uh, lady who uh, had, I I think, sticky fingers because there were times when she would come over, and, and I'm not saying anything, but stuff was missing on the other side of her visits. And then there was a man who lived directly in front of us, right on the corner, and uh, his name was Gary, but everybody called him the mayor because, because he, he knew everything. He, he was a retired, he, he was medically retired, and he spent all of his time right there at his house, out in his yard, watching the neighborhood, being sure that things were, were going according to plan. And, and he was the kind of guy who would always come over while I was uh, doing work in the yard. And if you know anything about the way I work, you'll know that it's just because it was entertaining. I don't know what I'm doing in any kind of yard work. And he would come over not to help, maybe to supervise, but also just to see. I think he was just getting information so that he could share with the neighborhood. He was always willing to share stuff that he found out, but, but not just information. On the corner of Gary's lot was a beautiful orange tree, and it, it was a very productive tree. I, I remember the, the first time Gary came over, showed up at our door with oranges, a, a bag that was just chocked full of oranges. Now, listen, you have to understand, this was my first experience with eating oranges right off the tree. I've lived in South Carolina and Oklahoma and Texas, and I never had neighbors that grew citrus fruit. And so I was pretty excited. He shows up with, with the, the bag of oranges, and I said, Gary, you, you didn't have to. And he said, well, actually, I did, because if, if you don't get them, the rats will. And I guess he could tell by the look on my face that I, I, I didn't know anything about these loathsome creatures. I certainly didn't know that they were in the neighborhood. And, and so he looked at me and said, you know, if you have fruit, you have rats. Where there's fruit, there's rats. Now, I don't, I don't know if he was completely right about that. But I can tell you he was completely convinced. He was sure, based on his experiences, that if he didn't get to the fruit first, the fruit rats would. And so I, I, I thanked him, 
and we took the oranges, we ate the oranges, in, in some weird way grateful for the rats that caused Gary to bring them over to our house. But as, as I was studying this week, Jesus' last words to the disciples in the upper room, I, I thought about Gary's words. He said, if you have fruit, you're going to have rats. If there's fruit, there's going to be rats. That conversation came back to me because that is essentially what Jesus was saying to his disciples in the 15th chapter of John. If you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, I would tell you, or on your phone, however you do it, let's turn to John chapter 15. And as we talked about last week, Jesus was explaining to his guys that they should be bearing fruit. In John 15, 5, he says... I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear, not you might bear, you could bear. You will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. The objective for disciples... That is, if you have come to the place where you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your objective is to bear fruit. And Jesus said, if we remain in him, that's what we'll do. If we fail to remain in him, then we will fail in our mission because apart from him, there is no fruit. So how do we remain in him? What's, what's required? Well, it's about prioritizing him through obedience. We love God through obedience. That's the way we communicate it to him. If we aren't obedient, if we don't love as Christ loved us, then we won't be in him and we won't bear fruit. I mean, it, it really couldn't be simpler. Jesus went on to say in verse 7 of John 15, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus was ensuring them and us that fruit production is the aim. It is the reason, your reason, and my reason. And it's through the production of fruit on the branches connected to the vine, that God is glorified. Jesus' message is that every follower of his will produce fruit. It is our reason. His plan, God's plan, is for those of us that know him to show him. If you know him, you show him. And so we have a mission and the mission is essentially to share the good news of God's love to the world. 
the good news of God's love is the fruit that God envisions. Now, let, let's just ask a question about fruit. Why fruit? Why did Jesus use fruit as the example? Well, the reason is because fruit is reproductive. Fruit contains the seeds of the tree upon which it grows. That's what's in fruit. And in the same way, our fruit contains the seeds of the vine upon which we grow. Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. And when we remain in him, we produce fruit. It is God's love planted in our hearts by Christ that produces the fruit of love. So in Christ, we bear beautiful fruit for God's glory. And while this fruit benefits other people, Jesus was very quick with his disciples to, to let them know there were some delightful benefits of this fruit being produced on the branches of their lives as well. And it, this was critical for them to understand the benefits of bearing fruit because he's about to, he's about to reveal something that's less than ideal. So what were the benefits? In John 14, 27, he said that as we remain in him and produce fruit in keeping with his vision and his love, we will have peace. And when we have peace, we need not be afraid. In John 15, 7, he said that if we're producing fruit, we can be certain that God hears and responds to our prayers in regards to fruit production. You know, people say all the time, I don't know if God's answering my prayers. Are you praying about the fruit that God has called you to produce? And if you are, Jesus said God will hear and answer those prayers. And then in John 15, 11, he tells us that if we remain in his love and produce his fruit, we will have his joy and our joy will be made complete. Jesus doesn't stop with happiness. That's what we pursue. Jesus says, no, you, you get much better if you stay with me. And if you obey my teaching and you produce much fruit, you will have joy. My joy in you and my joy will be made complete. Now, fruit production, Jesus is saying, is a great and glorious privilege. A fact that Jesus was affirming for his disciples right before he would suffer and die. Because of the fruit of his love. Now, I want you to think about that. He's saying, look at, look at all the benefits of living victoriously in me for God's glory. Peace, don't be afraid, joy. God's going to hear your prayers and answer them. These are all benefits. But guess what? There's one challenge. See, in case the disciples had the wrong idea, in case they thought the fruit-producing life was all peaches and cream, Jesus was quick to tell them that if they have fruit, they're going to have rats. Here's what he said in John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. You know, if the world hates you, just keep in mind 
that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why I called you to step out of the world. I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Can I just, can we just stop? I should just ask this question. Do you feel hated by the world for reasons that are not political? Because I think Jesus is saying, if you're with me, you're going to be hated. I've called you to be different. I've called you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Look at verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. Now, let's just think for a moment about Jesus' message here. He, he first says, look, all this glorious fruit is going to attract the attention of those who hated me. That's what you get. That's what you get when you do what God has called you to do. They're going to hate, they hated me, he's saying, and they're going to hate you. See, the fruit of God's love will cause the world to produce the fruit of its hatred. That's what happens. They hated Jesus for it, and he says they'll hate us for it, if they can find it. What form does that hatred take? It takes the form of persecution. Persecution. What, what exactly is persecution? Well, the Greek word that's used in Scripture here literally means to be hunted. Persecution means to be hunted. It is to be targeted and identified for hostility, harm, and ultimately, destruction. That's the very end of persecution. It's destruction. Now, hear me. We don't seek persecution. The Scripture never tells us to wake up and go out and see if we can be persecuted. Persecution is a byproduct of our fruit production. We produce fruit, the rat shows up. Persecution seeks us, and it is rooted in the hatred of all things Christ-like. So just like rats seek fruit, Persecutors seek followers of Jesus to spoil their fruit so that no one can enjoy it. They want to do away with it. 
By the way, persecution, not suffering for sin. Okay, not every bad thing that happens to us is a byproduct of persecution. It's not the difficulty we experience because we live in a fallen world. We experience God's good graces and we experience suffering whether we are righteous or unrighteous. Jesus said the, the sun shines and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's just common experience. The goodness is common grace and the difficulty is just a byproduct of living in a fallen world. It's not persecution. Okay, so when we have a bad day, not persecution. Persecution is the animus we experience for no other reason than we are following Jesus and spreading his love. That's persecution. They hated Jesus, and he said, guess what, kids? They're going to hate you too. Why did they hate Jesus so much? Because, I mean, if you, if you read the New Testament, he was going around doing good things all the time, right? I mean, he was healing people. He was practicing justice. He was generous. The Scripture says that, that the, the dreadful sinners were attracted to him. You know what's funny? It was the religious people that couldn't stand him. Why did they hate Jesus? Because he exposed their errors. You know, the darkness of their lies were exposed with the light of his truth. They, they were wrong about God. They were wrong about his kingdom. Jesus came preaching that God's kingdom was a spiritual kingdom of the heart, not a political kingdom. And, and Jesus taught that the kingdom would not be established by might, but by right. And perhaps most offensively, he taught them that God's kingdom was about God's glory, not theirs. Now listen, you can go home tonight. I've done this experiment. And you can turn on Christian television and you will hear teacher after teacher, false teacher after teacher after teacher say, this is about your glory. You follow God and you can be rich. You can, all your dreams will come true. Bull. Not true. It's not about our glory. about his. The religious establishment was working for a literal kingdom on earth that would keep them in power. And so that they believed that the Jews, who were God's chosen people, there's no question about it, they believed they were superior to every other race on planet earth. They were convinced that when God showed up, he would put the other races in their place, which in their minds was a place of subservience to the Jews. But at every turn, at every turn, Jesus challenged them, saying, that, that's not the kingdom of the heart that I'm trying to establish. 
You've got it all wrong. They weren't supposed to fight. They were supposed to turn the other cheek. They weren't supposed to resist. They were supposed to walk the extra mile. They weren't supposed to be served by their enemies. Jesus said that we are supposed to love, serve, and pray for our enemies. Now, essentially, the message was the enemy doesn't need to be put in their place. It's my followers that need, it's his followers that need to understand their place. Okay, we need to understand what it means to be children of God. It comes with great responsibility. There are great privileges and there are great responsibilities. It is not about us being superior. It is about us being submissive. It's not about conquering. It is about compassion. That was the message Jesus was teaching. That's the one he was living. And guess what? They hated him for it. Why? Because his words convicted and condemned them even as he loved them. They just didn't want to be told they were wrong. I understand that. Ask anybody I live with. I don't like to be told I'm wrong. But Jesus came and said, you're, you're missing this. You've got it completely upside down. But their minds were made up about the way things should go and about who should benefit from things going that way. And it was them. And they hated Jesus for trying to set them straight. So they determined... They were going to destroy him. And the entire New Testament is a story of their pursuit, the hunt for Jesus. And now, before he leaves, Jesus pulls his guys together and says, Look, if you're standing with me, if you're going to remain in me, they're coming after you too. Look at verse 20 again in John 15. Remember what I told you, a servant not greater than his master. He's looking at his servants. He's the master. And he says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. The hatred and the love that was aimed at Jesus, he was saying, will be transferred to you, to those of you who are bearing fruit. If their fruit was consistent with Jesus, their influence would be consistent with Jesus' influence. The people who followed his teaching, who followed Jesus' teaching, would ultimately follow their teaching. That was a fact, by the way, that could give them peace and joy, the joy he promised. But by the same token, those who persecuted him would hunt them down as well. 
It is a fact, an indisputable fact, that following Jesus, living in obedience to his command, attracts the rats of persecution. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says this, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Can we rewrite that and say might be persecuted or could be persecuted or if they have a string of bad luck, they're going to be persecuted? Nope. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in a godless world, and by the way, I I think you probably are aware of this, but we are told that this is the post-Christian, we live in a post-Christian culture, a godless society. And if we want to live godly lives, we will be persecuted. All of us. Why is that? Because a godly life produces the fruit of godliness, and where there is fruit, there are always going to be rats. Now it's at this point that we need to stop and ask ourselves, Do we experience persecution? Jesus, he he didn't mince words at all. He, He said if we're in him, we will be persecuted. It's going to happen. And then God, through the Apostle Paul, said that persecution is a certainty for those of us who are urged trying to live a godly life. And oh, by the way, it's happening all around the world. Conservative estimates tell us that from the beginning, from the launch of Jesus' revolution to change the world, 70 million people have been martyred. 70 million conservative estimates have been martyred for their faith. From the years 2000 to 2010, 1,093,000 people were killed for being followers of Jesus. Today, 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month. 214 churches or Christian properties are destroyed monthly. 772 forms of violence, which include beating, kidnapping, rape, arrest, etc., are committed against Christians every month. Why? Just because they're Christians. Oh, and they claim it. Because they're Christians and they're producing fruit. Jesus was right. 
It's happening. It's going to happen. Can we expect to be spared of persecution just because we live in a country that is today, thankfully, still practicing religious liberty? I don't think, I don't think there were any exception clauses in his talk. So the question that we need to wrestle with, are we being persecuted? That's it, right? I mean, is there ever a time where you suffer in any way because you're a follower of Jesus? Again, not because you're conservative or liberal. Not because of some political stand you take. But I mean, really. Because you're a Jesus lover. Because you bear fruit for his glory. And look, thank God that we live in a country where we are free to worship. But I, th I think too many times we just kind of hide out in here. And we don't take the fruit that we're producing because we're attached to the vine into the world where it reproduces the gospel, where his kingdom is expanded. I, I read about a guy who got a, he had a new job. And uh, it was a really a terrible work environment. And uh, he, had, he told his wife, he called her at lunch, like, this is awful. These people are pagans, you know, the whole nine yards. And when he came home, she said, how'd it go? And he said, oh great, I don't think any of them knew I was a Christian. Is that the way we do it? Just don't rock the boat. Don't mention Jesus. Let's just get out. Are you persecuted? John MacArthur writes this. He says, when Christians are not persecuted in some way by society, it means they are reflecting rather than confronting society. See, darkness can't handle the light. Hatred can't handle the love. Lies can't handle the truth. And when we're producing the fruit of God's love and shining God's light and standing on in a gracious, compelling way, standing on God's truth, remember, we're not seeking persecution. You know, people who go out and like, I'm going to drum up some persecution. I'm going to offend everybody I see today. Not what he's talking about.
But when we're producing the fruit of Christ's love, we're, we're going to attract rats who want to do away with the fruit. And if we see no rats, we have no fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. Life in Christ, the life that is connected to Christ, produces fruit that will attract the very hatred we're trying to eradicate. It will attract the hatred that wants to destroy it. You guys remember the story of Lazarus? You know, he died... Jesus held off a little bit, waited four days, went to, to see Lazarus, and, and then he raised him from the dead. You're, this means, yes, you're familiar with that story. There's a part of the story, it's like my favorite part, that I, I think is often overlooked. And, and it happens sometime after the miracle of Lazarus' resurrection. Jesus actually returns to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, because there was a, a party, there was a banquet being held in Jesus' honor. But on that day, Jesus actually wasn't the main attraction. Turn, turn back in your Bibles two chapters to John chapter 12. And I want you to hear what happens here. This is just beautiful. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see who? Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. You know what Lazarus was? Living fruit. He was living fruit. His life was literally connected to Christ because he was a walking demonstration of Christ's love and power. The story of his resurrection from the dead was irrefutable. Nobody was sitting around going, they're lying. He didn't raise him from the dead. He was dead for four days. And when he came wandering out of the tomb, you know what? He was all wrapped in his grave clothes. He was walking like a zombie. And Jesus looked at everybody that was there and said, hey, y'all come over here and help, help it, unwrap him. Clean him up so he can be free, which, by the way, is a good lesson for the church. That's what we do. Lazarus came back to life and news spread. So when there was a party in Jesus' honor that Lazarus was going to attend, it attracted people who were favorably predisposed toward Jesus, but it also attracted the persecuting rats as well. They planned not only to destroy Jesus, but they were going to kill Lazarus as well. You'll know that's our story. The scripture says that we are dead before Christ. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But just as Jesus stepped to the edge of that tomb and called Lazarus out, he 
issues a glorious call to us as well. And we who are dead are given new life in Christ. And that new life is going to produce fruit. Fruit that will delight some and fruit that will enrage others. Those who want to do away with the good news of Jesus want to do away with us as well. If we're sharing it. If we're producing fruit. But if we're not, they don't care. They really don't. Because we're we're not demonstrating that we've been called out of the world. There's, There's no fruit of God's love hanging on the branches of our lives. If you are following Jesus, if you remain in Him, if you're obedient to Him and sharing His love with others, if you're producing fruit, you will be persecuted. It's not if, but when. And then when we hear those stories about all the persecution and the martyrs, and the, we, we just want to say, Jesus, why? I mean, gosh, we could have gone without knowing this. It makes us hesitant. But you know what's interesting? The fact that I love, God redeems the persecution too. Our great Redeemer redeems persecution. Their efforts to persecute, to destroy the fruit, only serve to spread the kingdom of God. Persecution actually backfires and helps us accomplish our mission. I, I, I looked this up. I, how are the seeds of orange trees spread? You know what the first thing I found was? The fruit rats spread them. I mean, I'm not going to give you the gory detail. But that's what happens. The very rats that want to destroy the fruit actually spread the fruit. That's the reason that Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know what happens when we're persecuted? Somebody, somebody who is seeking sees a believer respond as Christ did to his persecution, praying for the persecutors, loving his enemies. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And when people see that, They aren't turned away. They're drawn to those who have been made brave by the presence of God in their lives. Persecution, it's a powerful witness, it is a certainty. 
unless you're not bearing fruit. Have you heard Jesus call? Have you heard him step up to the tomb and call you to life in him? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? Because if you have, we've got one job. Bear fruit. Are you producing the fruit of Christ's truth and love? I'm not sure. Look for the rats. Because if you have fruit, you're going to have rats. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are sobered by, first of all, by the fact that you call us, that you give us an opportunity to be connected to the vine, to the truth and the life, who is Jesus Christ. We, we are grateful. Father, I, I, I pray that we would understand that our story is told by Lazarus, that we are dead in our trespasses, that we're dead in sin until you give us life, till you forgive us of sins and give us life. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this room today or anyone that's watching online that has not come to the place where they've trusted Jesus for life, I pray that today would be their day. By the power of your spirit, you would draw them to the glorious truth that they are loved, that you have a purpose for our lives and the plan. Father, I pray that those who do not believe would have the, choose the courage of belief today. And Father, for those of us who do believe, who say with our minds, and with our intent that we want to produce fruit. I pray, Lord, that we would take the radical steps of obedience that lead to fruit production in spite of the promise of persecution. Lord, we want you to make us brave. We want your spirit to empower us to produce your fruit. Father, not for our glory, but for yours. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.